If you haven't been here in a while or, or your first time for a while to Great Oaks, um, the last few weeks we've been looking at a series um, called The Pursuit of Happiness, talking about the thing that so often that we often, well, all of us really want in life is happiness in some variety, some form. And we often pursue it in all kinds of different ways. And so we've been looking at what God's Word has to say about how do we actually find happiness in life, that it's kind of counterintuitive, it's kind of different than what we would think because it's not about the external things in life that make us happy, that gives us real peace and joy, but it's the things in life that, that make a difference or the things that start inside. And so we've looked at a passage of Scripture that's over in the, in the very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, that's uh, kind of about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. It's the first book of the New Testament. And it's, it's the very first part, just the preface to the teaching that Jesus uh, did that's called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And these few verses talk about or use the word in some Bibles that says blessed. Some word uses the word happy are those who do this. And so we're in the sixth week. We're in the sixth beatitude. We've talked about uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's basically saying to us that happiness comes, first of all, by through humility. Through understanding that I can't meet the needs in my life. That's what we talked about the first week. The, the, the second week about those who mourn. It's about the whole thing of understanding and being sorry for the condition that we're in, our sin in our life. And we seek God's um, tools for dealing with the ups and the downs of life. Because mourning is not necessarily a bad thing. God teaches us through that as well. Then we talked about, Chris shared with us about what it means to be meek, that meek is, is something to where we have this, the strength in our life, the good things in our life, but we have it under control. But because uh, we are humble people and happiness comes that way, we have our, uh, it's not, meekness is not necessarily weakness. Meekness is something else. And then we talked about that a person, if you really want to be happy in life, you have to hunger and thirst about the right things. And it's not about the things we usually hunger and thirst about. We have to ask ourselves, you know, what are the things we really want in life? And then last week we talked about the whole thing of mercy and, and what that means in our life about being merciful. It's, it's love in action. And, uh, you know, on the stage, as Chris has already shared with you, that love in action is, is something that uh, mercy is something we do. It's, it comes out of the, all of these things that happen in our life, and it really gives us joy. And, and I was just, you know, like, I was just blown away last week about uh, how you guys responded to uh, just a very simple thing, sending some shoeboxes overseas to, to bless some kids. Um, Taking some ba- uh, some boxes and and putting some Thanksgiving things in them to help some families who are who are in need in our in our community in our t- in two counties here in Tazewell and Woodford counties, and and it, and we began to realize and I think in a real sense I had a lot of buzz like this past week you know what buzz is right people talking about stuff, uh, people were talking about man we're excited about this, and I'm going you know I just thinking about it, that's what it means to live the Christian life. To love God and to love people is, is not just to simply talk about it and have warm, fuzzy feelings about it. It's about, it's about love as a verb. Love is something we do. We love God. We express our love for God in very tangible ways. And today I want to talk about another one of those ways. I, I, it's interesting, this, this, um, this beatitude. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's verse 8 of Matthew chapter 5. 
This word pure is kind of an interesting word because it's something that we throw around a lot in our culture. Americans are increasingly concerned with purity. Uh, we drink pure water. You know that last year Americans spent almost a half a billion dollars on water purifiers? We must really like pure water. And we got one at our house. We have a water distiller, a steam distiller at our house. We used it for years. We like pure water. That's all I pretty much I share with you before I drink is, is water. Uh, I'm cheap too, so that's that's one of the reasons when I go to restaurants I get water. No, uh, but you know we have we have that we have this. We want to breathe pure air. I'm sure I don't know what the statistics are in regard to air purifiers, but I'm sure there's a, there's a huge market for that. We eat pure foods. I mean, years ago you never went to a grocery store and saw a section you know of organic foods. I mean, now you know that's the, the, the newest thing. If 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 you really want to you know meet the needs of people, they want pure, uh, whole, healthy foods in their lives, at least some people do. And I even read about a company that will, from a fee ranging from $3,000 to $15,000, will come and do an analysis of why your house stinks and how you can have, it pure, have pure air in your house. So if you have three dollars to $15,000 and you have some odor in your house, you can get this company to come in. At least this was in California, you know, which always is a little different anyway. But... Uh, but the deal is, is that uh, uh, you know we have this issue with purity in our in our culture. But while there's this sense of purity, Americans tend to overlook uh, this another type of purity, where it says, "Happy are the pure in heart." What does the pure in heart mean? What does that that verse mean? Well, it means this. It means being pure in heart means to have unmixed motives. It means that you're a person of integrity. It means that, that you don't say one thing and act another way. God is concerned with the why of why we do things as much as he's concerned with the what we do. He's concerned with our motives. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. Don't just, it's not about just what you do, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. The question is this, then. Is it possible to do the right things for the wrong, with the wrong motives? Sure it is. We can do the right things with the wrong motives. Matter of fact, today we're going to look at a lot of verses out of chapter 6 of Matthew because really right after Jesus begins to talk about, uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, talk about the, the Beatitudes, the, the, this whole thing, he talks about pretty much the whole of chapter 6 is a whole bunch of illustrations of what it means to be pure in heart, to do things for the right reasons to have the right motives, and why motives are, are so important if you want to live life in a, in a, in a happy way, in a, in a way that really makes a difference, that uh, you have an, uh, uh, you're a person of integrity. So how do we develop a pure heart? How do you do that? Uh, do you go out and get some kind of purifier to do that, or do you do something different? Let's look at it this morning. The first thing we're to do, if we're to develop a pure heart, and this is, like I said, we're going to be looking some verses out of different locations, but mostly out of chapter 6 of Matthew. And if you have your Bibles this morning, you might want to turn there because I'll be referring to several different ones. Some of the verses are on your outline in the bulletin. Uh, some of them are not this morning. The, for, number one is this. If you want to develop a pure heart, first review my motives. We need to review our motives. Ask ourselves, why do we do the things that we do? Um, I need to do an honest evaluation of why I do what I do. In Proverbs 24, verses 21, it says this, God knows and judges your motives. God knows and judges your motives. Not just what you do, but why you do it. He keeps watch over you. He knows and he will reward you according to what you do. 
And then throughout the chapter of Matthew 6, he gives us several examples. I want to pull three or four of those today that give us an idea of why he says this is so important. Uh, he talks about three examples about the motives of why we do things. Let me ask you a question. Is it important to give? Yeah. God says that, you know, uh, God is a giver. We're to be like God. We talked about this before. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, it says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. And I was going to, if I'd had a trumpet this morning, I was going to bring it with me and blow it every once in a while. Because literally, that's what it's talking about here. It's like, you know, like we take up our offering. If I was to our offering, our ushers would pass out the offering plates, and you would get to you, and you were like the, 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 the Pharisees. And, and you would, you know, as you placed your, your offering in the, in, the, in the bag, you would go, you know, we get a little further, just kind of so people will notice you. You know, look at me. Look what I'm giving. It's kind of what he's talking about here. It's kind of strange, but it's what he's saying. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. I was in a church one time, and actually was pastor of a church. I kind of inherited this, <clears throat> where we had plaques on everything. I mean, hymnals. We don't have hymnals here, I know that. But we had every hymnal had a, had a sticker in it. And on the sticker it said, this was given by, in giant letters, in honor of, or in the memorial of, and in small letters, you know, whatever that was. I mean, it was everything in the church had something. It's nothing wrong with giving memorials, but it's kind of weird when, you know, most of the people you give them to are still alive. And you're just looking, you know, like, I look at my name. And, you know, and we had people go around and actually look for their, for their hymnal. Yeah, they do that, you know, because they wanted to know, hey, that's my hymnal. I gave that hymnal. I paid for that hymnal. See, Jesus says to us, you know, giving is important, but doing it with the right motives. He said, he says this then, he said, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I don't know how that works. Because my, my brain kind of tells both sides to work, so I don't know if that's literally, but I think it's figuratively talking about here about not being, you know, not letting, not being important about, uh, letting people know. He said, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, rewards you. It's interesting there when he says that the, the two words for reward, the first reward when you have given and you've announced it with a trumpet, it says you receive your reward in full. There's the word reward there. And then a little bit further, there's this other one, the God will reward you. And it's two, 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 two totally different words in the Greek. And we'll talk about that in a minute. A second example he gives of this, he says, is in praying. Is it important to pray? Yeah, okay, I'm not, this, not, all these questions are really easy this morning, okay? They're real easy questions. Nothing hard. It's important to pray. Sure it is. So Jesus says this in verse 5, though, of Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you, they receive their reward in full. You ever been to a place where somebody prays this real flowery prayer? And when it's all over with, you're going, wow. I wish I could pray like that. And you want to clap the prayer. You know, I, I, I listened one time, you know, when they have these national prayer things, you know, and they have people come up and they have this long prayer and they use giant words I don't understand. And, and they finish up and it's going like, that was awesome prayer. 
Jesus is saying here, you know, we don't need to have that kind of prayer language. God says, you know, the, the reward you receive for that, guess what? It's those claps from people. He says this, though. He says, when you pray, don't do it to impress people. He said, do it in a way that would, that you could go into your closet, he says. Do it to God. It's not, sometimes we pray in public together, but generally speaking, the thing we do, and we're leading people to think about, hopefully, to think about the things of God and not about the person praying. And then in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6, he talks about something else that we don't do a whole lot of in our world, but fasting. Is fasting important? Now, some of you may not say, oh, I've never tried that one before. I understand the giving. I understand the, the, the praying. Fasting? Fasting is hugely important. Because fasting means just spending some time with God, spending some time abstaining from food, whatever. You can fast from a whole bunch of stuff. But spending some time so you can focus your attention on prayer and on spending time with God. I've shared before that when I have fast, when you, I fast, no one would know about it. But later on, I, I just have to tell you that sometimes I've shared before that I've gone through periods of time in my life when I want to know God's will so much that I just want to abstain from everything, kind of clear, out, clear the deck and fast so I can have more time to pray, more time to focus upon God and my relationship with his. And he says this, when you fast, don't go around looking like the hypocrites because they go around with a sad face. They actually put ashes on their, you know, it's kind of like a, they dressed up to fast, kind of. It was kind of a, a thing. They looked like they were sad. He says this, instead, wash your face, put oil on your head. I guess that means you've got to make your hair look good. You know, I'll just have it sticking up in different ways. So, so it won't be obvious to men that you're fasting. What's the point of all these things he's saying in, in Matthew chapter 6? It's basically this. How we do things says something about your motives. Maybe our motives are mixed if we do a lot of things so people will pat us on the back and say, Oh, I did a great job. Maybe you want the praise of people more than you want the praise of God. See, the test of a pure heart is this. Can you keep a secret? Can you do something, I mean, can you, if you spend a whole night praying about something, could you just not tell anybody? Because all you care about is the relationship with God. Is that the important thought, thing in the relationship here? See, the opposite of being pure in heart is being a hypocrite. Jesus said the Pharisees love the praise of men more than the praise of God. First Thessalonians 2, 4 says, We do not aim to please others, but to please God who knows us through and through. So who do you want to please the most? The pure in heart person, the first step into pure in heart is to review our motives. The second step, though, is to realign my priorities. If I want to be pure in heart, I must not only review my motives, but I must realign my priorities. Remember when Jesus went up on, uh, uh, not Jesus, excuse me, let's, let's back up here, Old Testament. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, what was the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before you. No other gods. Period. And he used a little g in Scripture. No other gods. See, God says, I want to be top place. I'm not going to play second. What is a god? What is a little g god? A little g god is anything that is first place in your life. Now, how do you know what has first place in your life? How do you, how do you uh, realign your priorities? Well, let me tell you a couple of three tests to understand what your priorities are. The first test is this. Look at your activities. Look at your activities. 
Uh, what do you invest your time and money in? Matthew 6, verses 19 and 21 says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and eat, and, and eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. See, wherever you put the investment of your time and your money, that's where your heart is. Regardless of what you say, I mean, most of us would say, oh yes, God is number one in my life. But where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our, our resources? You know, one of the reasons the, the Bible teaches us clearly that we're to tithe, we'll give 10% of our income back to him, is to teach us to put God first. It's an object lesson we do on a regular basis in our life. Put God first. God wants the first part of our resources. He wants the first part of our day. He wants us to spend time with him on a regular basis. He wants us to spend the first part of every week. I have to say this again. I've said it before, but I'm really concerned about our culture. We have lost, we have lost the understanding of what it means to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not necessarily specific. I mean, for me, Sunday is not necessarily my Sabbath. I have to tell you that because I have to work on my Sabbath, on, on the Sabbath that most of us do. But Sabbath is supposed to be the time, according to Scripture, where we spend time building a relationship with God, relaxing and, and, and enjoying all the things that God has created, and just, and just, and just re, revitalizing our life. In our culture today, we have more and more and more things that intrude upon the Sabbath. And we as big people, adults, now kids, kids, you know, they take the, the thing. It's not the kid's problem. It's adult problem. We as adults don't know how to say no. There's something that's more important than sports teams on Sundays. There's something more important than this and that. And you just name it down the road. It used to be not that way. But now culture has collided with that. And we constantly have this issue of placing God first. And we guess what it says to our kids when we don't do that? Well, that must not be very important. God must not be very important. I challenge you to think about that. Because God says, you shall place no other gods. And he also says, keep the Sabbath and make it holy. Spend a day a week. Realize you don't have to do everything. You have to realign your priorities. The person who's pure in heart does that. Look at your activities. Secondly, if you want to know what uh, your priorities are, not only your activities, look at your anxieties. Look at your anxieties. What do you worry about the most? What do you worry about the most? Matthew 6, 25 says, there, the, says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. And then it goes on. It's interesting that in, the, in, in this chapter in, in Matthew, if you go through Matthew, the passage, the five most common worries that most of us have are outlined in this passage. In verse 24, it talks about finances. In verse 25, food. In verse 27, fitness. In verse 28, fashion. In verse 34, the future. Any of you worry about any of those things? Finances, future, fashion. I mean, you know, I remember a pastor one time, or, or not a pastor. A guy came to church one time, and he hadn't been there in a while. And, his, his, and, and when he gets home, his wife's been badgering him to come for a long time. And he showed up at church finally. And when she got home, she said, she said, honey, did you uh, see what Mary was wearing today? 
He said, no. Do you see what Joan was wearing today? No. Do you see what uh, Betty was wearing today? No. Well, it didn't do you much good to go to church, did it? You know, some people, you know, like I said, some, it said in there about some people who give, you know, they toot their horn. I mean, some of us wear certain type, we have to make sure we have the right kind of, you know, Gucci or whatever it is. Insignia. Look at me. I'm cool. See, we have to look at our anxieties. What do we worry about? Do you worry about stuff that's... What does it say if you're worrying about any of these things? It means that God is not number one in your life. You have a misplaced priority. It means that worry says, God, I think I'm in charge here. Of my future, of my fashion, of my fitness, of my food, of my finances. You just name it, whatever it is. Look at your anxieties and you will understand where your priorities lie. Besides your activities. What do you worry about all the time? I can tell you about my anxieties. I don't have time today to do it. But, but I, you know, I, have, I understand that. And constantly I have to go back and remind myself of what it says in Scripture. Do not be anxious about anything. But, pray, but through prayer and supplication. You know, it, it talks about how we deal with it. We don't worry about it, you know, because it doesn't do us any good anyway. It just causes us to have ulcers and take stomach medicine. But what we have to do is we have to understand that one of the problems is in our life, we only have to look at our activities and our anxieties and we understand what our priorities are, what things that really have our attention. And finally, look at your ambitions, your ambitions. What are the goals in your life? What are the things you desire to do? What's the direction of your heart? Whatever is the number one goal in your life, the, the ambition of your life, that's your God, little g. Matthew 6, 31 and 33 in the Phillips translation, maybe you're not familiar with that, it's a, it's a good translation I use sometimes, says this, don't worry about these things, and it names a whole bunch of them. That is what pagans are always looking for. That's where their ambitions lie. For your heavenly Father knows you need them. Instead, set your heart first on his kingdom as a priority and his goodness, and all these things will come to you as a matter of course. He says, don't always be looking for what everybody else is looking for. Sadly enough, in our culture, what happens is, is so often, for many Christians, many believers, we have the exact same ambitions that the rest of the world has. And that should not be so. Because God has given us a different set of priorities, and God is, God is our number one priority. It means that we change the way we do things, the way we think about things. And if you're trying to see one of the problems about why so often people are Christians that are unhappy is because they're still trying to ride the fence. They're trying to keep one leg in the world and one leg in God's kingdom, and it does, it hurts to sit on a fence, to straddle a fence, especially if it's a picket fence. painful. Doesn't work. So how do you do it? You realign your priorities. Get on God's side of the fence and stay there. It'll give you a lot more happiness. Happier the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart means, it means unmixed motives. It means you're a person of integrity. It means you don't say one thing and act another. And because of that, let me tell you a couple of things that, are, that, that means because of that, it means that I'm continually conscious of God's presence. A person who is pure in heart is thinking about God about all the time. A pure in heart person is conscious of the God's presence all the time. That's a mark of maturity in the Christian faith. That God is a focus of our lives. 
See, the more mature you are, the more conscious you are with God and is with you all the time, and you're less conscious of what all the other people around you think about you. A mature per- person just focuses on pleasing God. See, happiness boils down to simply, who do you want to please in life? And if you're trying to please everybody, guess what? You will never be happy. So God is saying the person who's pure in heart is the one who's purpose in life is to please just an audience of one, God. Would that simplify your life if you're not always worrying what everybody thought about you? If you wasn't always going around trying to think about what everybody wants to think you should do? I think it would. It would make us more peaceful and joyful and more happy. So pure in heart means I'm continually conscious of God's presence. Secondly, it means I'm content with God's praise. He says, I want the reward, I, I want the reward of God, not the reward of man. In Matthew 6, 2, it says the people who are always showing off with their religious deeds, they have their reward. I shared with this earlier. And then it says, if you do in secret, you don't worry about what other people think. God will reward, will reward you. The word reward in the first part of that verse and the word Reward in the second part of that verse are two different words. One, the first one where you, where you are getting your reward by showing off before men, that word literally means a temporary reward. But the second word it says, when it says that God will reward you when you do it in secret, when you don't worry about what other people think, it's a word that basically means a permanent investment. So what's better, temporary or permanent? I told you the questions today were real easy. You don't want won't get your reward immediately, but it's coming. You don't sell out the future for the present. See, persons that are pure in heart are persons who have a long-term view. And their view is to please God. So pure in heart means I'm continually conscious of God's presence. I'm content with God's praise. And third, I'm controlled by God's priorities. I'm controlled by God's priorities. He, the person who is, who is pure at heart, he or she has, his heart, has their heart set on what God says is important. Now, how do we know what that is? Well, that's why we talk about here and we study this every week and we encourage you to study this, this yourself. This is God's guidebook to help us to understand how to live life. It's God's interaction with us. It's, it's, it's that which we must understand and know and trust and act, and act upon. God's word. I'm controlled by God's priorities. What's the result if we do this, if, we're, if we do all these things? Well, the Bible tells us. It says, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happiness is the result. I mean, how many of you don't want to be happy? I was just seeing if you're listening to see if you actually would raise your hand on that one, okay? You know, if you did, I would send you for the counselor. If you don't want to be happy, it means you're messed up. Because all of us, you know, good I was a psychology minor, by the way. I know just enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be helpful. Um, the thing is, is it's so, it's so often, you know, we, we, all of us want to be happy. It's a natural state of being for people. Happiness is the result. See, why? Because you're not faking it. If you're pure in heart, if you're focused upon God, if you're aligned with his priorities and you do the things that he wants you to do, God has his best interest for you. You're not trying to be a, a phony, a pretend. That's what a hypocrite is, by the way. Hypocrite is a word means an actor. You're always acting. 
It's what a hypocrite is. It's not saying it's not really real. Happiness is when you don't have any fear of being found out because who you are outwardly and who you are inwardly is exactly the same. <laughs> I just thought about this in context this past week. Politics. <laughs> just think, if truly, if no politician, if, no, if all politicians were pure in heart. Now, I'm not saying that they aren't or are. I'm not making a judgment here. There would be no fuel for any of the commercials we saw. Just think about that. What a wonderful world it would be. But, um, but happiness is the result. It says, happy, happy are the pure in heart. In the second part of the verse, for they will see God. The result of having an unmixed motive of living for God no matter what is to see God in your life. You know, so often I hear people saying, I just don't feel God. I don't see God working kind of hard to do it when you're not really living for God and really trusting God and God's not there. When you're riding the fence and it's painful, you know, and, and things aren't working out, you know, it's kind of hard to see God. But God says, it says that when you have, let me tell you, this past week I've seen God in so many ways as people have, as I began to look around and see people who are happy about serving a small part of doing God's will. I hear stories about people about being blessed by giving to others and by serving other people. You begin to see God when you have when you're pure in heart. Because you don't you're not looking at life in a skewed manner. It's kinda like I have to tell something about my wife. Okay, she's back there at the back. Okay. She knows doesn't know what I'm gonna tell her right now. My wife is perfect in every way except for one thing. You see these things right here I wear on my face? Called glasses. I'm a I'm a crazy person about my glasses being clean. I clean these things like thirty times a day. Guess why? Because I want to, if I don't, it drives me crazy to have a speck on here. Well, a, a while back, I was, my wife was sitting there, and she was watching TV, and she had her glasses on. She wears contacts. She wears glasses sometimes. And she's, she's getting a headache, and I'm going, honey, maybe it's your glasses are dirty. And she says, no, nah, they're, they're fine. And I say, let me look at them. I looked at them. They were filthy. And I couldn't believe how in the world this perfection, I mean, my wife is the most organized, you know, every way in the world. She doesn't clean her glasses. I'm always cleaning them. And I'm going, how do you see the world through these? And I thought I had to use that, honey, because, because the issue is, is it's, that's how we see the world. We don't see God when we're, it's like looking through dirty glasses when we're not pure in heart. We have all this junk between us and God. We're trying to do too many things in too many directions, and it's kind of like this film over, over our eyes. We really don't see things the way we should. You want to see God? You want to see God at work? Get aligned with His priorities. Allow Him to work in your life in a real way. So how do you get a clean heart? How do you do that? How can I clean up my heart so that I can be happy? The answer is, you can't. There would be no need for Jesus Christ dying upon a cross if we could do it ourselves. But because he did, he, because God came into the world, we're going to talk about this during Christmas, about how much God loves us. And because he came into the world and he was born as, as, as a small child and, and he grew up and he became a man and he died upon a cross for our sins and he took away the payment that we deserve, because of that, we can have a clean heart. 
But it's only when we accept Christ into our life and begin to align our life according to who, who He is and make Him the Lord, the CEO, the director of our lives. That's how you begin the process of having a clean heart. So I would like to recommend to you a heart specialist. His name's Jesus. He makes house calls. He's never lost a patient. He's a pro in heart transplants, and he wants to give you a new life. It's kind of like what David discovered in Psalm 51 after he had gone through, in the Old Testament, David, a, a guy that was, that was called a man after God's own heart. It's kind of interesting because he's one of the most messed up guys in Scripture if you look at his life. He had the most shattered experience of his life. He had committed adultery with another man's wife, and then he had the, the man killed. He was a murderer and an adulterer. And then in, ver, in Psalm 51, this is what he says after he comes to God and throws himself upon God's mercy and humbles himself before God and, and mourns for his sin. And he was the king, and so he becomes meek. And he hungers and thirsts for God. He does all the things we've been talking about in the Beatitudes. Once he does all those things, this is what he comes and he says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a new, clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. This powerful king understood that the only way that he could have a clean heart was to throw himself upon God's mercy. And the only way you and I can have a clean heart is to do the same. That's the only way we can do it. What's the condition of your heart this morning? Do you have a broken heart? It's hurting because of stuff that's happened in your life. And you don't know how you're going to fix it. And, well, you can have a new heart by turning to God, by accepting Jesus Christ. Do you have a, a hard heart? Is bitterness and resentment been in your life for so long you've let it pile up and you have this stony, cold heart and, and nothing can break through and you're here because somebody kept badgering you to come? You've allowed your heart to be hardened and you don't think it'll ever, it'll be, ever be soft again? Well, God can do a heart transplant on that as well by accepting him and realigning your priorities with his. Do you have a divided heart? That's where a lot of us live. Divided heart is where you're trying to serve God one way on Sunday and the devil on Monday. You know, Sunday is just kind of a fix for the week. It's not really something that really affects you the rest of the week. And once again, folks, let me challenge you with this. The issue is this. It, 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 if we try to live that way, you'll never have peace. You'll never have happiness. And the only way you can live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for God is to allow God to clean up your heart. See, isn't it time we stop pretending? Isn't it time you stop pretending that you're really happy and you're not? And you have this kind of fake smile on your face a lot of times. And uh, Isn't it time you stop pretending that you're really following Christ when you're only doing it half-heartedly, if, if at all? Would you come to God and say, okay, God, I need a new heart. See, happiness is from the inside out. And happiness is a heart condition. And only the heart doctor known as Jesus can fix it.
question is, will you let him? Will you let him? Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org. 